millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, friends. I thought I'd mix it up a bit here on Wild. I'm about to head off on my tour with Live Nation around Australia throughout July, taking my ideas to the road in a big kind of book club conversation. And I'm also about to start recording the second series of this podcast with another bunch of big minds where I go in deep and all tangly and intimate with an idea they've gifted to the world at some point. But I've been getting a lot of questions about my own wild ideas and way of living in the interim. So I thought I'd sit here in the studio with Lindsay, the producer, and answer a few of them off the cuff and as dead honest as I can make it. I've always had to do this with various projects that I work on. I sort of do it when I'm writing a book. I get crews of strangers together in wine bars or cafes and ask them to let rip and to vent what matters. I just sort of listen and I answer questions, then I respond to what I hear, the angst, the frustration, the yearning. And and that's sort of how I write my books and, and work on things. It's also why I agreed to do this podcast with Listener. To be honest, it's another stealth way to get inside humanity's beating heart. If you caught some of season one of this podcast, you'll know I literally hunt down people from around the world who have said or shared or written out or lived out a truth that I've found personally fascinating or inspiring or that you guys told me you wanted to know more about. And I just drill down through the layers of this this idea that they've shared with, with my guest. I try to stick to the one wild idea, but I do tend to meander. So, for example, the pop singer Sia, she's always blown my mind with the way she creates, like, through her anxiety. So I emailed her manager, who I know from my days as the editor of Cosmopolitan, and she said, yep, go for it. And so I talked to the big true ideas that Sia had shared with the world over over the years. And we also got talking about fostering because we both foster teenage kids these days. I revisit a chat that I had with Seth Godin, this incredible marketer from the US, about 12 years ago. And we explore this simple idea that creatives or artists give first, and then the rest follows from there. This idea informed the way I built my business, I Quit Sugar, and then the way I gave all the profits to charity when I sold the business recently. 
And because I think thousands of you, and, and I don't think I've exaggerated that here, wanted to actually meet my meditation teacher who I write about in several of my books. So I got him on to talk about this brilliant trick he always talks to me about for finding meaning from what is happening in the world right now. Lindsay is asking me to explain the tour a bit more. So yes, my wild and precious tour. Why am I doing it? Well, because I feel that we are all feeling alone in the clusterfuck. And yes, this is an official army term to describe a situation of untold complexity. Uh, So for instance, the political fragmentation, the racial and sexual politics that are playing out at the moment, capitalism and our loneliness, but mostly the climate crisis. I'm feeling alone in all of this as well. And so we're going to talk, or rather I'm going to talk on stage and get real and gritty and intimate about it all. And I'll be sharing the behind the scenes stuff about how I wrestled my way to a path forward, a hopeful path forward, which is what I promised my publishers in the US and Australia when I first signed the book deal. We kick off July 3rd in Sydney at the stunning Recital Hall in Angel Place and then we'll be moving on to Wollongong, Canberra, my hometown, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Melbourne and Perth. If people like the tour, I've been told we will be able to extend it, so spread the word fast. I want to take things regional as well, so go all across Australia. If you're listening to this before July 2021, Tickets are on sale right now at livenation.com.au. Okay, but back to this special episode, this Ask Me Anything episode. As some of you might know, I reached out a little while back and asked you to send your questions to me via voicemail on the interwebs. Lindsay then went and collected them and she'll be actually playing them to me for the first time right here. So I'll be answering, I guess, on the spot, which is how I prefer to do things. So let's see how it goes. Um, Actually, if you do like this special sort of episode, please do let me know. Um, You can just tell me about it. Tell me your thoughts on my Instagram. I will read your comments and respond accordingly. All right, let's get this crazy thing started. Hey, Sarah. I've tried to get this question out a million times and I just, yeah, here, here, I'll have a go. So my question revolves around my kids. So I have three boys, seven, five, and four weeks, and I really want to bring them up to be conscious about the environment and to just be smart about consumerism and where their money's going, where their time's going. Um, But I feel like the world's, like, doing its best to do the opposite, to mould them into consumers, you know. I'm, I'm telling them one thing in the TV and the fast food places. Is, everything is telling them to spend their, you know, time and money on useless crap. Yeah, so that's really my question. Like it's really whether you have any tips or resources or anything you know that can just help me. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I hope that made sense. Just trying to, yeah, bring the bring the boys up to be smart and respectful of the environment and to think about their purchases when, yeah, I feel like the world's doing a really shitty job of telling them otherwise. And, yeah, I'm their mother, so I'm in charge. I'm responsible. Thank you. And I'm in Perth, Australia, right near the beach. We've got the best best place to be. 
Okay, Mum from from Perth. I think your name is Jolene. I'm looking down the sheet here of the names that came through. Oh, what a great mum you are. Um, I've recently become a mother, a foster mother, and I can see all of this playing out and I get the dilemma. Um, there's a few things. I I do think that we can just show a better way and my answer to the question more broadly in terms of how do we actually inspire it around everyone, not just kids, is that we've got to make this new way, the less consumer-based way, more charming than the status quo. So, yep, your your boys are getting these messages, bye, 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 plastic, crap, more, more, um, you're not enough, you've got to just buy to feel complete and it's that hedonistic treadmill. But it's a one particular message and I actually, I mean, it's pretty good because it doesn't make us happy, right? So eventually it does make everybody a bit kind of, I don't know, despairing. So so the thing is, is we've got to actually make this other way, the kind of, you know, using less resources, recycling, being really conscious of any purchase, having the discussion as a family before you buy anything, having a, the discussion around the, the the dinner table, which is what we did as a family. You know, my dad, before he even bought a toaster, would discuss it, the merits, the costs, do we do four slicer option or crumpet option? You know, these kinds of things, we got to know about the value of things and whether it was worth spending a bit extra for a toaster that would last us, I don't know, three decades instead of two decades. So, those kinds of discussions and making it fun and making it meaningful is the only route. We've got to make this new way more charming than the status quo. And that's not a bad task, you know, to have on our hands to make something fun. My brother and my sister-in-law, they, you know, they've got twin boys in WA and they're they're 12 now and they're the most awesome boys. And they Oh, I think they were nine before they got their first pair of new shoes. They are really happy with not having anything new. And um, that is because my brother and my sister-in-law have, you know, made it super fun. They don't have a backyard. They've chosen to live in a sort of an apartment-style building and they go hiking and camping um, every weekend. They get out and that's that's fun to these boys. And so they just know they don't go shopping. They don't get things. They don't have iPads. They don't have all of that stuff. And my brother tells me how their friends now want to be part of that movement. You know, Um, they've influenced their friends. So that would be my answer. And I'm doing that with my foster daughter and she's swung around to it so fast. She's like, yeah, I'm never going to own a car. Walking is so cool. Look at all the cities where they walk. Paris, New York, you know, Japan, they walk. I want to be part of that. So, um, you know, she's she's got into it, into the charm pretty quickly. Hi, Sarah. My name's Sarah as well. I live in Pridgeon Beach in southeast Queensland. My question for you as a fellow hiker, I'm um, hiking brings me to life and also calms me. It just changes my my world really. And as a fellow hiker, I'm interested in the fact that you hike alone. And I love the idea of doing overnight hikes on my own, but I'm a little bit nervous about that. And um, I guess just the vulnerability of being a woman in the wild on my own. And I love my own time, but I'm really interested in how you um, mentally and physically prepare for hiking and camping on your own in remote places. Thanks, Sarah. You're a great inspiration and I look forward to your next series of the podcast. Thanks. Ciao.
Ah, oh, hello, fellow Sarah. That's an awesome question as well. I look. I guess I've got two a two part answer to that one. The sensible, responsible part of me says, okay, the way you can go about this is you can go and get an emergency beacon from national parks or a local police station. Um, so if there's a police station near a national park in Australia, you can go and get that. It's generally free and you borrow it and you use it if you wind up in a difficult scenario. So sometimes I do that, especially if I'm if I'm posting about my walk and I'm trying to be really sensible. The other um, less sensible side of me um, and the side of me that wishes to be free and that really believes in when you go out there and you take yourself to the edge, you've got all your faculties on and you're aware and you're sensible and you're in survival mode and you do naturally make sensible decisions. Um, that side of me just says, once you go into nature and Sarah, you'd know this, you feel held by nature. So I've been in scenarios where I camp and I'm it's the middle of the forest and I've even had some incredible scares, as you might know from reading my book, where I've literally had a spooky guy kind of following me. And I have done it anyway and I have felt very, very held by nature. My mind simply doesn't go there. I probably weigh up the odds of something happening to me as per, you know, as against maybe something happening to me walking down the middle of Sydney, CBD, um, the chances of me being hit by a bus are far higher than something happening to me out in, in nature. I weigh up all of those things and then I allow myself to sink into comfortableness and the beauty of it all and the fact that this is where we're meant to be. It's a tricky one. I have chosen to live that way. I've chosen to go to that edge and my rational side does weigh up the odds and I invite you to do the same. And then, yeah, in the moment, I don't get scared. I really don't. I, I rest so easily and I just, I love the sensation of being in my tent. Um, I can hear the animals around me and it, it all feels right and so I don't freak out. I think you can do baby steps. You can go to national parks where it's a campground and there's other people around or at least, you know, sort of nearby. You can sort of hear them or you can maybe even go over to a family and say, hey, I'm just going to camp over here. Do you mind if, you know, you just keep an eye out for me or something like that? There's a few things like that you could do before you move into wild camping on your own. I hope that helps. Hi, Sarah. I'm Emily from regional Victoria in Australia. I'd love to know how you're so confident in who you are as a person and what you believe in. How have you freed yourself of worrying about what others may think? Emily, um, that question actually brought tears to my eyes. Um, it goes to the crux of everything I've done over the last probably 20, 25 years of my life. It's been a vigilant pursuit of arriving at myself. And um, I can't say I'm there yet, but everything I do inches me closer to it and I get rewarded along the way. I have a number of phrases that I have running through my head that make it feel like it's all worthwhile on the days where it doesn't. <laughs> um, I remind myself that character is an ability to, to wrestle with yourself, to wrestle with yourself day in, day out. It's also about going to your edge and enjoying that and knowing that, that that's important. And I suppose I often say this, um, 
when it becomes more real as I get older because my I actually do feel that sometimes the answer is sheer years on the planet. As I get older, I've got more more dots behind me that look like kind of this weird dot to dot that makes no sense. But then as I get older, I can see that it forms a thread, that the dots all line up. And I borrow that metaphor from Steve Jobs from one of his commencement addresses. I think it was to Stanford University. And um, I think that's a, I think that's really true. As we get older, it all lines up. The other thing I'll throw into that, and I borrow this thought, this wisdom from Jane Fonda, she pointed out that as a woman, as you get older, your estrogen drops off. And I'm 47 now and it's dropping off. And what happens is that estrogen drives us to care a lot about everything. Now, when it starts to drop off as we get older, we have that, that sort of habit of caring, but we, we can actually choose what we care about a little more. And um, I have less fucks to give about the wrong things and more fucks to give about the right things. And that hormonal shift has really enabled me to get even even closer to my values and what matters. I suppose also the climate crisis has sped things up for me as well because I feel like I've been, I'm being called to attend to that and that gives me my purpose. I wake up every day and I know it's what I need to be doing. It feels right and Jane Fonda talks about this a lot as well. Um, so, yeah, I think being a woman, these questions come to us but then they also get answered wonderfully as we get older. Hi, Sarah. My name's Rachel and I'm from London. My question for you is, I wonder if you could describe a little bit about your meditation practice. I've been meditating on and off for seven years, but I need a bit of a kickstart and I'm looking to refresh and invigorate my practice. Thank you. Oh, hi, Rachel. That's an awesome question. Um, the only way I can I can answer this is to say, just get started. Just do it badly. Do it for five minutes and then increase. Perhaps do five minutes every day for a week. Increase it to 10 until you get to about 20. And look, I've said this so many times before, I am a really crap meditator. I've been doing it for almost 12 years now and I'm okay with being bad at it and I don't let it put me off. The important bit is, is actually the bringing your awareness back to your breath or your mantra or whatever it is that you use. And it's that over and over again coming back, using that muscle to come back to that still point that is important. So if you're a crap meditator, you have to do that probably about 40 or 50 times in a 20-minute session, or at least that's how many times I think I do it. If you're a really good meditator, you may not have to do it at all. And so you don't get to use that muscle as often. You don't get to flex it and to work it. And so when you go out into real life, it's not as as flexed and kind of muscular. So I actually see being bad at meditation as a great thing. And if you can see it through that lens, it might get you back on the meditation cushion or wherever it is that you sit and, and enjoy meditating again. Just be crap at it, but do it anyway. Hope that helps. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Oh, hi, Sarah. This is Joanna from... Um just outside London in the UK. I've got a couple of questions for you. The first question is, out of your new book, which hike was your favourite and why? And the second question is a bit of a curveball. My partner wants to know, if you had to give up chocolate or wine and cheese, which one would it be? <laughs> Joanna, they're awesome questions. Um, I don't know if my answer to the first one is going to satisfy you. I get asked this a lot. What is my favourite hike? And I've never done a hike that I haven't absolutely loved. So my answer is my favourite hike is my next hike. Like I can tell you now that every hike in my book was just awesome in so many ways. If you're wanting to plan one, living in, in the UK, I would definitely do that pirate trail down from St Ives to Penzance. That is almost a dream hike. It's single trail. You pass in and out of these tiny little towns. In some cases, the town is just a pub where you need to eat or you need to spend the night. So I definitely, definitely give that one a go. It's awesome. You also might be near the the hike in um, the Lake District that I do with David White, and I think he'll be getting those hikes going again, those poetry hikes, and that's another awesome one. As to your husband's question, look, I wouldn't give up either of those, um, cheese or chocolate. I'm going to tell you now that I eat dark chocolate, 90% cacao dark chocolate. Every morning for breakfast, I eat about three squares. And just so you know, if you take a 100-gram block of 90% cacao chocolate, which you can get in most supermarkets now, um, that's uh, 10% sugar. So it's 90% cacao. Whatever is not cacao is sugar. And so it's 10% sugar. So that's about 10 grams in a 100-gram block. And if you do the maths on that, it works out to be about two and a half teaspoons of sugar in the entire block. So when you're only eating sort of three squares, I don't know, it works out as three quarters of a teaspoon of sugar. And just to nerd you all out, the recommended daily quantity for adults is between six and nine teaspoons of added sugar a day. So I cover off three quarters of a teaspoon in the morning. It's a really good way to kind of calculate things is just to sort of think in terms of, well, how much sugar is it? And chocolate doesn't have to include a lot of sugar if you eat 90%. Work your way up to it. What brings you hope and optimism if you ever get in your funk and are just absorbed by it all and climate change or the world or relationships or people being assholes to one another or the government or the men or patriarchy. What do you do to recreate hope? Um, yeah, is it, what, how do you find hope? 
Hey, Anne, I saw the message come through via your Instagram handle and you correspond with me a lot and I always find your comments so wonderful. They bring me a lot of joy. So what brings me hope in the face of climate change and everything else that's going on? I would have to say it is nature. Nature teaches me congruence and it gives me my sense of belonging. When I feel like I don't fit in, I go into nature and I see the patterning and I, and I realise life has got this one. Life knows what it's doing and I become humble to that and it, and it feels nice just to join it and sit in it. So a hike, just being near the ocean, also being around children will remind me of that. I also attend to the sense of purpose. I can see that I need to rise up right now. You know, I use that James Hollis expression and I interviewed him in series one of of Wild and he and I talk about this idea of his, which is our souls are calling us to an appointment with life. And I even think the hopelessness that we are often feeling is the calling that takes us to go in and join life. Um, I don't think it's our nature to give up. And Pima Chodron says that it's actually when we arrive at a point of hopelessness that the greatest freedom and sense of belonging comes into being. Um, That's when we get really online because we stop grasping out at someone trying to, you know, that someone's going to save us, the government, um, some climate activist, a husband, a partner, whoever it might be. When we arrive at hopelessness, all the other avenues shut down and we have to draw on our own strength. And I, I've arrived at hopelessness many times in the last couple of years in and around what I see happening to the climate. And um, it really drives me into myself. I'm going to have to do this. And, and I'm going to have to make it as infectious as possible so that other people join me and, and they feel that strength within themselves to rise to what life is asking us to do. So yeah, I suppose yep, nature gets me gets me into the right openness and the right space and the the sense of the thing that I want to fight for and how important it is. It reminds me how important it is. And then the hopelessness itself kind of renders me choiceless. It reminds me, oh god, I'm going to have to do this and 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 nobody else can fix this, so I probably can in the absence of anything else. So I just wanted to say this as well. There's a phrase that I put into my book right at the end, I think it is, where I say, well, if we lose it all, what is left? And I ask myself that often. And the answer I arrive at is love and work. And so that's what I dedicate myself to. So, you know, if life isn't going to play out exactly as we thought it would because the crises that are happening around the world are going to, to step in, then let's own the stuff that really matters to us and that will create a beautiful and meaningful life um, no matter what. And Anne had a second question for me in her voicemail. My main question, and this is because I've just lost a dear, dear friend to ovarian cancer um, last week. I'm just wondering your thoughts on on what happens when we die. Um, do you think the soul goes forever, you know, or do you believe in the heaven and hell or do you believe in reincarnation and afterlife or that we just, that's just it, gone, pronto, nothing? Wow, you're coming out with the big ones for me here. Um, yeah, I do have a faith 
of some sort in, I guess, the, the intelligence of life. That's probably how I would define my God. Um, and I, I kind of defer to it, I suppose. Do I think there's an afterlife? I think life just continues and we join it at some juncture. We step in and we step out and um, life goes on. And the invitation we have as humans that get to be part of life's grand flow is to step up and to enjoy it and to to rise to our highest version of ourselves, you know. And um, I think we become part of, I don't know, the life force that continues on to, to the next generation um, and so on. I, I don't know that I'm going to have a consciousness. In fact, I, I don't feel that my consciousness will continue on after my physical body dies and I'm totally cool with that and what that does is create an urgency and a reverence for the experience I have in this consciousness um, for what I hope will be close to 100 years, 100 good years on this wild and precious planet. Hi, Sarah. My name is Kelly and I'm from the United States, currently living in Denver, Colorado. Um, I have a pretty simple but big and wild question for you. I was wondering if you could expand about what some of your biggest fears might be. I'm interested to know if other people can relate. Thank you so much. Kelly, um, your question has stumped me because, of course, our deepest fears are the things that we don't want to go and delve into. And um, I can be accused, and maybe I'm actually going to allude to my biggest fear right here. I I can be the biggest hypocrite, just like I think most humans, where we can seductively talk about the stuff that we've conquered, the fears that we've been able to approach and, and sort of, I don't know, wrestle our way through. And it's, um, it's the stuff that we're really fearful of that we don't tend to talk about. I guess in some ways my fear is um, loneliness. It's, it very much revolves around loneliness, um, not being seen, perhaps leaving this life without having had enough interactions. Um, I'll be really honest with you, particularly with the opposite sex in an intimate way. That's something that is a big missing piece that I have not been able to find a, a, a way to sort of, I don't know, I haven't found a way to get there <laughs> um, and to, to be seen, to be seen by men. Um, as friends, yes, I've got lots of friends, my brothers and so on. So that's fearful and that I haven't kind of found the, the hoary, messy part of that yet that I keep running from it and will I be able to find it and sink into it and to wrestle with that because I think that's going to be an important wrestle. Um, hard one to do at my age, I've got to confess. But the broader answer to that would be that I, that I, that I don't confront and play with and wrestle with love enough in, in the lifetime that I've been given because, because I'm fearful of it. That's my fear. Yeah, I don't know if that's too esoteric. The other fears don't scare me. A lot of the stuff that maybe other people are scared of, I I almost go towards it. I've made a, a lifetime practice of going towards. Again, that is a seductive thing that that genuinely fearful people will do. 
we'll look like the ones that can conquer anything and and you don't need to confront us because we've got it all covered. You know, I confront the dark. I camp. I camp, you know, in the wild on my own. I swim in sharky water. I, I'll go towards it and it's almost a way of me being able to feel okay about the fact that there is probably a fear that that I that I avoid. So um yeah, thanks for for digging that one up for me. Hello Sarah. This is your friend Julia Stone asking you this question from Melbourne, Australia. I am so interested in your brain. It's such a beautiful thing. I love how you have explored so many different ways to look at life. I'm particularly drawn to the idea of minimalism. I also recently heard the term enoughness, which struck me as a really essential part of how we all need to look at our lives. What is enough? Um, This is a long roundabout way to ask you this. (laughs) I'm also very interested in your experiences with mental health and anxiety. And I'm curious about the connection you see between enoughness or minimalism and how that impacts mental health in a positive way. Thanks, Sarah. Oh, Julia, I love that pause after you said, it's Julia. Um, And I thought, I recognise that voice. I have not spoken to you in many, many years when we had a coffee sitting in Surrey Hills and I think we talked about all of this kind of stuff and more um, rapid fire. Um, And thank you to your manager, Tim, for introducing us as well. Um, Awesome, Tim. Um, Enoughness. I haven't heard that term, but, yeah. It's kind of the the mantra of the ages. We we need to adopt it. We need to know it. We need to live and breathe it. We need to rise to it. And if only because the opposite, the more, more, more mentality is making us so, so miserable. Some of the stuff that I talked about in and around that, I, I guess it's my truth around minimalism isn't so much about this kind of, you know, pious, noble thing that I do, um, nor is it an aesthetic thing at all. Like it's not like I'm just got a whole heap of scandy furniture with clean surfaces going on at home. That's just not what it's about. For me, it's about joining the flow of life. And that is part of that messaging that I've I, I sort of mentioned with somebody earlier. It's about congruence and feeling recognised and part of life and that we fit and we belong to this greater kind of, I don't know, order or logic or progression. And um, and when we're not in congruence with life, it pains us. It feels terribly alone. It's referred to as a moral aloneness. And, um, and that's when we get ethically off track and we land where we are today, where we've destroyed so much of the planet that holds us. Um, So I think it's tied into anxiety that way. We know it to not be true. But also the simplicity of not having to make decisions, that's probably also the touch point that resonates for people. Consuming is just this cesspool of multiple decisions. You go to a shopping mall and it's just like, do I want the red or the blue version? Do I really need it? Should I have the long or the short version? Winter's coming. Do I need a, you know, like it's all of that kind of stuff. Anyone who's had to, I mean, I get that, I get that angst even just trying to buy toothpaste. And so I minimise all the decisions around consuming by by kind of shopping like a man. Like I literally go and buy the same sneakers about every six years. I go out and buy the same sneakers, the same style of jeans. I buy the same pair of underpants and I buy just what I need enough. 
and um, I just minimise all of that. I've I've exited from that cesspool of of angst and deciding that overtaxes the part of the brain that also controls anxiety. The part of the brain, the amygdala that controls the flight or fight mechanism is also the part of the brain that can actually hijack our ability to make decisions. If we don't have to make so many decisions around all this buying and consuming and having stuff and clutter, it actually prevents us from getting so anxious. Vice versa, when we're anxious, we can't make decisions and and anyone who's got anxiety knows that. It's a bold move, and especially for somebody in the public eye, to actually say, no, I, I draw the line here. And it's such a hard line to draw. And um, my line gets closer and closer to zero. As I get older, there's less and less that I need. And it's such an interesting exploration. And it's such a fun one. And it's such a freeing one. And it's such an empowering one to go, I can stand here without the latest clothes. I've got rips in my top. It's frayed. It's secondhand to start with. And I just don't care. I just don't care. I, I have better things to do with my life. And it's wild and it's speeding up and it's more urgent and um, it's more decisive and it feels more landed. Anyway, um, Julia, I love your work. Please create more of the joyous stuff and uh, get rid of the clutter that might be holding you back from being free in that way. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.